Welcome to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, holistic health coach, clinical herbalist, and functional medicine pharmacist, or just holistic pharmacist for short. I'll be sharing inspiring stories of my guests who have shifted into holistic modalities, both personally and professionally. My co-host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, will be joining me to lead the Journal Club episodes to share an evidence-based approach to holistic and herbal medicine. I'm so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the show. Hello, fellow humans and healthcare leaders. I hope everyone had an amazing Valentine's Day and keeping up with the theme, I'm beyond honored to introduce my next guest who has so much heart and courage. With this episode, we hope to inspire other pharmacists to lean into their unique qualities and coaching. My guest's message to listeners is this, use the power of collaboration to fulfill your professional calling, even if it's outside your comfort zone. Just learn as you go. You don't have to wait on the sidelines to be granted the professional power and permission to help and heal our patients. There are organizations, patients, and providers that are looking for our expertise. For the ones that aren't, we'll keep educating them along the way without compromising our potential. Ahuna Freeman is Nigerian-American. She began her career in pharmacy as a community pharmacist in one of the big box retail pharmacy giants. There, she fell in love with problem solving using her skills and expertise. In 2014, she quit corporate America, opened Southside Discount Pharmacy with her husband, and began the journey of pharmacy ownership, preceptorship, and entrepreneurship. She's the president of Aligned Care LLC, a healthcare company that endorses a team-based approach to patient care and community practices. Aligned Care provides consulting services to pharmacists and other healthcare providers, as well as preventive care services for medical practices. Ahuna is an established trusted pillar of support for health and wellness in her virtual and in-person communities. She's passionate about preventive care, clinical services in community pharmacies, patient education, health literacy, and pharmacist provider collaborations that provide real patient care solutions in community practices. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today Dr. Ahuna Freeman, who is a clinical community pharmacist and pharmacy consultant. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Marina. Thank it's you. a pleasure. Here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. So I want to dive right in and ask you about your childhood, where you grew up, and how you came to be a pharmacist. Yes, absolutely. I was born and raised in Nigeria. And um, I moved to the U.S. with my family when I was in high school. And since then, my family, we're really big on education as immigrants. So all I really did was my education, making sure I made the perfect grades for my parents. And then, of course, I enjoyed sports, so I participated in those. But um, that took me to college and then... I knew I had to do something in med- in the medical field because that's basically what they tried to make us do, <laughs> Nigerian parents. And um, pharmacy was my is the very last option that I chose to go through. And I think I made the decision like two weeks before the PCAT, the deadline to register. And I did that, took the test, and just hoped for the best. 
And here we are, years later, I was accepted at Campbell and um, completed my doctorate at Campbell University College of Pharmacy. And then I actually wanted to do residency. I worked at this time as a community pharmacy technician and I knew I wanted nothing to do with that <laughs> upon graduation, but I wanted to bring along the love of people that I had and just being able to solve just almost any problems that seemed to be unsolvable. But um, when I wasn't, so I knew I was gonna do residency, ambulatory care to be specific, cause that tied it all together. But um, I wasn't accepted. So I thought that was the end of it for me cause I ended up joining one of the retail pharmacy chain. And from then on, I wasn't just fulfilling my purpose. So I, decided, my husband and I decided, all right, I think it was time to just do something different that you know that we're going to enjoy if we're going to live this life and be purposeful doing it. And that's when we opened the pharmacy. All right, beautiful. Well, can you share a little bit about why pharmacy was in your first choice? And do you have any regrets about how things turned out? Actually, no, I'm glad everything turned out the way it turned out. And um, I'll be honest, pharmacy was not my first choice. I think my first choice almost was physician assistant. And only because it was only at least 18 months or 24, 18 to 24 months after graduation from a graduate college, like with my degree. I just, I was tired of school. Um, I didn't want to do medical. I didn't want to go to medical school. So it was just between dentistry or pharmacy. And um, that was the only reason. And when I looked at the curriculum between dentistry and pharmacy, I was like, okay, it's, it's got to be dentistry because pharmacology, pharmacotherapy. I, no, I'm not going to make this. So, but I don't know. Something just, I think I, the deadline was the last second decision. I think it was the only deadline I would have made. And I was like, okay, well, let me just, just do it. And that's how I ended up in pharmacy. So with all the obstacles along the way and the disappointments, I felt like they were disappointment. They were really a blessing in disguise because that gave me the opportunity to explore other things that I never even knew that I enjoyed, but I just knew somewhere down the road, just like a, I had that foundation inside, but it gave me the opportunity to really dig in and pull it out. And I'm glad it happened. Yeah, I love that sometimes life throws us these little curveballs and we don't know what to do with them. And it could be a coincidence. It could be serendipity, but learning Absolutely. to to make you know lemonade out of lemons is a really big skill and a, a huge gift to living this life um yes. yeah so i love that you were able to do that for yourself so tell us a little bit about what was exciting to you as far as ambulatory care and what you built um as far as your practice and your pharmacy well the ambulatory care um experience was during the rotation, you know, and it gave you the opportunity to actually get to know your your patients without so much of a time constraint. And um, I was working at a retail pharmacy at the time as a technician. I, I was able to do that, but it was very limited. And doing it was also setting yourself up for failure for the day, because at the end of the day, you have so much stuff that you just never completed, metrics that you never meet, 
or you would never even ever meet. But um, the ambulatory perspective, of course, from my perspective at the time as a student, um, I felt like they had more, like they had the opportunity to actually get to know the patient and to use our expertise as, as pharmacists um, clinically to help these patients. And um, collaborating with other professionals in the healthcare arena, that opportunity was definitely there compared to retail when I'm, as a technician at the time, as what I was seeing, it, there wasn't much of that. So with that, I took all of that when I opened the pharmacy, but then I realized also that trying to work and collaborate with other professionals could mean that you're trying to pull patients into the pharmacy. And that's how I had to make the decision on separating my business on the clinical and um, community pharmacy, for, uh, so Southside Discount Pharmacy for my patients and also for consulting and then aligned care for absolutely all things clinical and service and no products related whatsoever. And, um, and then trying to document that whole process for other pharmacists that would like to replicate my journey or try to make it easier for them to follow. So that's where I diverged. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. That makes a lot of sense as far as yes. conflict of interest. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey right out of pharmacy school? Um, what made you open up your own pharmacy? And then what also um, created this desire and passion for the consulting part of things? Yes. Um, so right after pharmacy school, starting off at the retail chain, um, I knew, well, I ran into so many, as the pharmacist at that time, I ran into so many people that uh, with different backgrounds that needed a little more than just counting, put it in the vial or quick counseling, you know, looking at the time, stress, just, you know, all that stuff. Um, so with that, I just thought, wow, like, I'm here and my parents are in another city. That could really be my parent at a pharmacy counter and needing X, Y, and Z. And the pharmacist, as much as they want to do and help, they really can't. So that was the moment that I realized, okay, well, if I have these patients that are engaged in their care, because not all patients are, and I like when patients are engaged, we need to do something. I've got to do something that will allow me to keep them engaged and help them, you know, change the way or the path that they're walking on. And that was how the pharmacy came about. So with that, not only um, with the pharmacy, not only was I building or trying to build something that's more patient-centered, I also wanted to make it a clinical community pharmacy. So not just a place that people would just come in, have questions and leave or get medications and leave. I wanted them to learn a little more about their health. You know, there was a reason why they walked in. Otherwise, why are they not walking into the doctor's office? Why are they not walking into the urgent care or emergency room, right? So having a professional in the community, they realize that as much as we may or may not realize that people rely on us in that form. Um, I wanted to be able to help them prevent the illnesses that's a lot more prevalent here rather than wait and try to help them to reverse, to reverse the illnesses. So preventive care was one of the 
um, one of the one thing that we definitely invest in. I also realized as a pharmacy owner that preventive care doesn't really pay the bill, but I'm hopeful because fast forward nine years in the pandemic, going through a pandemic, I think more people are now interested in what can I be doing so I'm not at risk of X, Y, and Z. And I shouldn't live in anxiety because I have X, Y, and Z condition. Yeah. Yeah, it takes quite a bit of foresight, right, to just look into yes. the future. And for preventative care, it's really hard to measure those opportunity costs, right, in the future and what we're yes. actually bringing and saving in terms of life, quality of life, you know, years of life, morbidity and mortality that we're saving on and also healthcare expenditures, right? So it's yes. it's actually a little bit difficult to prove that value. But, um, you know, with the pandemic and the mental health crisis, right, like something like 50% of people in the US dealing with some sort of mental health issue, it's very scary, right, those numbers. So I'm so happy that people like you are seeing that value and, and finding the space to be able to educate those people that are proactive, right, are wanting to be proactive. Yes. And unfortunately, like the healthcare system is more of a reactive system. Like we wait till it happens. But like you said, a lot more people are becoming proactive and the mental health was, you know, it's it now it, a lot of people are recognizing that there's a problem and it's something I may not have addressed in the past, but I think I need to address it now because it can manifest into something else. And for example, like during the pandemic, there were so many people looking for something for sleep. You know, why are like why why are people asking for a sleep medication, something for sleep? You know, there's an underlying anxiety, depression, like what could it be? Right? That's causing the insomnia. So a chance to um give a little patient education on that end makes them also think, oh yeah, this needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And for somebody that's actually waking up in the middle of the night, maybe they don't necessarily have trouble falling asleep. We know that the cortisol, you know, um, is also involved where the cortisol is like trying to go and stimulate the liver to work. But uh, when we're depleted or when we're stressed, that function can also be turned off and then you can wake up because there's not enough sugar in the body because one thing that it does is it it helps us break uh, release the sugar with gluconeogenesis uh -huh. from the liver at that time of the night so it's so interesting and i always find myself wondering you know in pharmacy school we got such a great education on both non-pharmacological and pharmacological modalities but yet in the real world we're only expected because of the payment system to just stay on one side of the playground so yes. how have you, you know, remediated this for yourself and what do you see in the future as far as potential um, healthcare savings or payment models that you would recommend that we start moving towards? Honestly, I think most pharmacists would probably agree that it's time to put a little more effort in moving towards service-based payment model. Um, and really, that's the way it should be. We were so okay with the product base 
And now we're no longer okay with it because it's very much being taken advantage of. And um, with cost of everything rising, they're realizing the excuse of tying the product-based payments which at the time the product might be less cost and then they add on to service. So tying it together, but with the cost of the product rising without adding additional, everyone is realizing, oh my gosh, we're not really being paid for the service anymore. So I think it's important that we start distinguishing the difference in that payment model, because when we think about it in other healthcare sections, in the community, within the community, they make a point of that. So even at a provider's office, there's some providers that still have some type of products, so product that they carry in there in the facility, but that can never be tied up with their services together, right? So with pharmacies for so many long, for such a long time, we've always thought community pharmacy product-based, community pharmacy product-based. So moving towards service-based as a separate entity, it, it's, it, it should be the way, um, it's the way that we should really go moving forward. And I think it begins with trying to, or recognizing what we can do in our community and seeing if we have the bandwidth to do so. And if we don't, how can we bring on the power to still make it work? And how do we bring on that power and get compensated doing so? And that comes down to collaboration. But we have to be willing to collaborate. And the other healthcare providers have to be willing to see the value of collaborating with us. So working alone in our own little corners is not the way to go. So as long as we're making it known what we can bring to the table, how we can serve the patients, how we can serve practices, serve our community, serve our pharmacy, and um, serve the profession. I mean, I don't see how anyone would disagree on that. Yeah, and you bring up a couple of great points, and I want to backtrack to you know the mental health issue. I think a lot mm -hmm. of it resurfaced or surfaced um, from somewhere down below where people didn't realize how disconnected they are from themselves and their life purpose and having that downtime during the pandemic and the lockdown just really exposed what was already there which is that on a baseline level and a foundational level we're kind of disconnected from the fabric of life like we are expected to operate at certain speeds and be productive and all of the things that we are valued at, but that's not what ultimately is important to the human animal and spirit. You know, the body mind connection and community and purpose are like these top two things that keep resurfacing that we're not actually meant to be, you know, um, living in a silo and just being at face value of like, what can I as an individual accomplish? That's not really the end all and be all of having the human experience. So the fact that like there's key areas missing in our modern Western lifestyle um, where we don't take time, you know, to rest, to do what we love, to enjoy, um, to have partnerships or 
community or friendships, you know, and all of those things are just not really valued as something as important as putting in productive hours in the workday. And so I think that's one of the things that is is um, impacting pharmacists because we're also realizing as professionals, we are not valued at what we can truly serve up, right? Um, we are only valued at the product, right, that we can dispense. And that's where we have all the metrics to meet, especially in the community setting. And, yeah. you know, our, our title and our skill level is not really matched to what we actually are expected to do on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of us, I think, want to see our patients thriving instead of coming back and and getting the same medications like we actually don't want the polypharmacy we want to deprescribe we want people to to thrive with their non-pharmacological approaches first and of course if if medications are needed we're there right um but it just the system as it is now it's just not able to serve all the people that are in need of these services and that's because a lot of it is just, okay, quick fix, band-aid, let's prescribe something. And then if there's a back order, then, you know, we're all in trouble or the more people. And it in. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just like a cycle of like dependency. Essentially, we're creating dependency on the system. And then when it's overburdened, it can collapse and then everybody's in trouble. Yes. And I think exactly you're right on that. And because you backtracked on that, you're right on that. The pandemic did bring that, made us see the collapse. It did. And what we were lacking and what we need to re, um, reserve it's, is we need to understand that we need to slow down. You know, um, if we're really going for efficiency, we have to slow down. We have to coexist. Um, because at the end of the day, we're we're chasing the same goal in essence, and we're, we're really trying to get to the same endpoints to make our patients feel better. But the bandaid effect is just not it's not working out. And the thing is, we're so familiar with the old way that we're so comfortable with it, and we just don't want to undo it or try to shake it up. But it's 2023 and coming out of the pandemic, we shook it up a little bit and we were okay. But why are we going back? For example, during the pandemic, most of the clinics were closed. The pharmacy had to stay open, right? This is before the vaccine because people needed their life-saving medications. So the pharmacy has to had to stay open. And in order to continue on with a medication like blood pressure medication, just a simple one, you know, someone had to triage. I mean, how is the blood pressure? Where, like, is it stable? Is it not stable? How can we communicate this to the provider in order to continue with their therapy? We did all that. So that's efficiency in a way, because all they needed to know to do was to know where the patient is at the moment, to know if it was okay to continue on with that therapy. Of course, when it comes to taking labs, It'll be nice. It'll make sense to go back to the clinic. But just to continue on with the refill, we were able to do that during the pandemic. And now it's, okay, let's go back to the normal efficiency. It was very efficient at the time. But I don't know. Um, We have long ways to go in farmers in this profession. And 
I remember when we first opened that I was really making sure that my patients understood their program, <laughs> you know, like our vision and our mission. And it wasn't just transfer prescription. Sure, you want to transfer, but we have to, you have to understand, we'll call you, we'll check in, we'll ask about your A1C. You've never heard of it. Well, let's explain what that means. You know, we, we, we the goal here, why are you asking? But we have to explain the goal of asking is because we would like to see it at X, Y, and Z. And you will need to do a little more in addition to the medication. Otherwise, it will go this way and this could happen. So not because everyone in the family, my uncle Joe, yeah, ended up with dialysis. So I know I'm going to eventually. No, that's not the mindset. And I had a patient tell me one time, well, I don't know if you keep saying this preventive care stuff, you're not going to, all your patients are going to be healthier. You're not going to have any patients. Like, well, no, if I don't, all my patients are going to die and I'm not going to have any patient, right? And sickness is always going to be there, but to what extent? We don't want it to that extent, right? Yeah. And that was the second big point that I wanted to highlight was that the bottom line always comes down to the dollar amount as well, right? Because that's something that we really can understand and we can talk in numbers. It's easy for us to visualize. And yeah, money is not the end all and be all either, but it's something that represents the potential, right? For either costs or for savings, um, you know, and and it can contribute to a better lifestyle. Um, and we do need a certain bare minimum, right, to sustain ourselves, to have the our physical needs met. Um, and so it is important and we have to look at the payment systems and at a more service-based model or changing something because, again, we're draining healthcare costs, right? Specialty pharmacy, I mean, that's kind of the new thing, but all of it is super expensive, and all of the injectable medications and the GLP-1 um, analogs. And, you know, everybody wants these solutions. And it's just, I feel like there's not enough education about what is the benefit? What's the risk versus benefit? We have to go there. And then what is the cost effectiveness of that as well? And me coming from an independent retail setting as well, um, I'm curious, like, how do you compete, right? How do you make your bottom line? Because all of these chains and other pharmacies that can really compete on the price and on the quantity, you know, yeah. it, it's it's very, it's a different world. That is true. So as an owner, I get that question a lot. And a lot of the students um, that, are, you know, that are looking ahead to make their own plans ahead, um, they always ask that question and, to be honest, the competition is really not with the chain, at least for me. I have a one of the big retail chains just right next door to me, <laughs> without saying the name, but right next door to me. I'm not, they're really not my competition in a way. They're kind of a blessing because like the high cost medications that is just, you know, that one day they're available, the other day they're not there or they're tying up your... um your cash flow, like why? You know, they can take on that if they want, because my concern is to make sure that these patients are doing something to prevent additional conditions that they don't want. Um, so they're not the problem for most independent, it's the P PBMs and the insurance plans. You know, the reimbursement is not great. 
So they're the ones that are hurting us because we have our loyal patients that want to stay with us, but you have to look them in the eyes and say, look, if I keep you and everyone like you, I'll never be able to help anyone at all. So, and you have to be honest with them and just let them know, be very transparent and just tell them what's going on. So that's, that's how I follow these things. And um, because we're so invested in patient education and um, preventive care, I'm always interested in collaborating with organizations that maybe they have grants that are also, that have a, that the missions align. Because I think with research and carrying out these, um, these services, the grantors can see the benefit of what the grants are doing. And maybe the payers will also see the same thing. So I'm always open to things like that because my community definitely needs that. And I've been blessed, glory to God, thankfully that we have organizations that actually reach out knowing what we do, what we've done, and want to do more work with us. So those are most of my focus. And you have the cash paid patients that are willingly not sitting, waiting for their insurance to take care of something that needs to be addressed at the moment. You know, even if it means driving across town to come to you, and then you have providers that have patients that have means to fund those services and they're sending them to you because you're also helping them with their patient, helping them with their practice or helping them with the services that like, you know, with professionally what they're able to provide. Of course, they want to keep you around. And, you know, I give all glory to God because somehow all these are aligning and we just, I know that we just cannot base it on product alone. And that's why you hear me scream on top of the rooftop about collaborations and services that pharmacists can actually do and their expertise, it's best if we exercise those and not wait for anyone to give us the permission to. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned collaborations a bunch of times. So how have you been able to get out there and collaborate? And have you been able to collect any sort of data so far? Yes, it's really hard doing that myself. Um, initially, it was a lot harder because it was a matter of waiting for someone to give you the permission that you can do X, Y, and Z. And then you almost feel like, maybe I can't. Maybe I'm just going to go back and stay behind the counter within inside my four walls. But um, being able to get out in the community to talk to other clinics or other providers I have to do that in the mornings. And in the, um, in the beginning, I would do it with my husband, but he has his own job. So I have to really make the connection on the phone, intentionally looking at the providers in my area that I know that are probably interested in what I have to offer. Not everyone is interested in that. And not everyone that is interested can, because we also have two huge hospital groups and, you know, the, I guess the type of agreement they sign with their um, employer, they have to stay within the employer. And the employer also employs pharmacists. But of course, the pharmacist can only do X, Y, and Z within the organization. Um, so getting to know my providers, um, understanding their own mission and their vision, and 
finding a way to know the right person in the clinic to speak with, not the provider. Most of the time is the clinic manager. And um, having that conversation on the phone, like I always tell my girls here at the pharmacy, you have to have a clinic best friend somewhere. Each clinic, we have to have a best friend in that clinic. So when you call them, you talk to them by the name and you tell them how much you appreciate them and you'll be shocked at how far that friendship would go. And then you set something up, you come in on the appointment dates and you get their undivided attention. And then they can decide on how to proceed after that. And sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's a sure, let's try it out. And as far as have I been able to collect the data? Yes, um, I have a clinic and this under Align Care, I have a clinic of seven providers, two MDs. And honestly, in the beginning, it was one of those, like one of the MDs, one of those, ugh, so smart, like, you, you know, he's very, a very, very smart guy. And it's just like, and he's been doing this for so many years. He's been operating so many years without a pharmacist. So yeah, like, why does he need it, need one now? So of course, you're intimate, intimidated. I was, but um, gathering the courage to really own my expertise and explain what we can do, how it's different from the other providers that are non-physicians and how you what you bring to the table as the medication expert and how they have you just a phone call away because I do have my own pharmacy that I have to be in. But, um, and the bandwidth that you have to carry out whatever it is that you can. I do have um, students. So with all that said, we're able to start a couple of services. Um, and since then we've been doing remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, and... Recently, we do lifestyle changes with management for the patients. And I actually had that most of the services that we offer or I offer over there is a service that we've kind of tried out at the pharmacy for preventive measures. And then I envision it also being implemented in a clinic. And then I present it to a clinic to see if it'll be adopted. And if it sounds well, it's adopted. So a lot of my Services is something you can do at a medical clinic and at a pharmacy. And then I keep track of that and document it and replicate and teach other pharmacists or my students that come through. Um, so yes, we have many patients that's come through us, many interventions. And every year I run the report back and I present it to them because it's best to go back and see what we could have lost if we hadn't done this. And it's all done by a community pharmacist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And who are the majority of your clients? Is it other providers and pharmacies? And then you also monitor their clients, but you're not actually directly paid by the patients. Is that right? That's correct. So with this, with these services under Align Care, it's a collab, well, it's a collaborative agreement with no authority to prescribe. So uh, um, no prescriptive authority because North Carolina also has that. And that is something that you have to, a pharmacist would work on if they really want to do because it's, it comes to a lot of li liability. And at the moment, I'm 
really just not interested in changing prescriptions. So I recommend, and they always take the recommendation. So um, it's based on the services I provide for them because it's billable on their end, not on my end. And then you pay it based on the contract you set up with them, which is different for everyone that goes down this route. Yeah, so I have uh, one last question for you. How difficult is it to sort of start navigating the reimbursement side of things so that it is profitable for the provider and also pays you? How difficult? Uh, it requires a lot. So for someone that's wanting to do this, they also have to be willing to learn, uh, open to learning. And um once you're able to do that and you're you know that you're open to learning it's really not because this was an area i never thought that i would even venture into and that's medical billing which is different from pharmacy billing so as far as the difficulty to me that's where the difficulty was because for me to negotiate i have to understand what i'm negotiating i have to understand how they are paid the service-based payment with the CPT codes. Pharmacy doesn't teach us that. And um, with that, everything else that's to be learned, it's something that you already know. Management of chronic disease states, depending on the disease, we learn these things in pharmacy school. You get refreshed in it if you're interested in it and you do CEs, um, make sure you have network of other providers are also interested in that area. So really, it's not difficult. Um, another thing, too, that's um, like being a dedicated consultant, like I said, my pharmacist, I do that, that's under Align Care. Um, you just, it's the same thing as we already do in community pharmacy. Just think about it. If you're in a community pharmacy, you're dispensing medication for so many disease states. So you're not just working with patients with diabetes, you know? So it's just making sure that you, the most prevalent conditions that you see, that you're keeping up with the current guidelines, you're attending CEs, you're learning and studying, just being outside of your comfort zone. So it's really not that difficult if you're willing to learn. It's doable. If I can do it, trust me, with three kids and a husband, so that's like four men. <laughs> For kids, anyone can do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and being a full-time pharmacist as well. So, is that something you uh, you teach your pharmacist clients? Is like how to leverage other, let's say, students or you know whatever other resources they have, um, and then learn all of this and implement it. And on the other side of it, is it only relevant like state to state? So you only take clients from your state. Yes. So I only take, uh, well, as far as client goes, I, so far, it's only been from North Carolina. I would say I've had other providers from different states, but I make it a point that they understand, you know, because this is how it is with North Carolina. And I think that's one, one of the things that I need to also do that I'm working on is to make sure my network is um, involving other pharmacists that are in different states that are well knowledge on this on the rules because I only can speak for North Carolina and then for my students because uh, I precept 
I only take students from North Carolina pharmacy, um, School of Pharmacies. So they're always willing to learn these things and see and look at all the aspects of pharmacy that I dive into. And at the end of the day, the foundation is pharmacy. And I always tell them on the beginning of the day, we have to think, okay, you're here for community pharmacy rotation, advanced or introduction um, or introductory, but we're going to be switching hats from the pharmacy patients to the clinic patients, because these are my patients, but they are different location. And all these patients, they don't use the pharmacy. So if these are not the patients from the pharmacy that I'm working with their provider, because I get that question a lot. No, they actually don't even, most of them, well now they all know that I have this pharmacy because of the COVID and all the publications, but Prior to that, no, because I don't want the confusion or the conflict of interest. You know, they're my patients here and I, I will take care of you just like any patient. And then these are the patients here and we're doing this for these patients here. So my students are always like, oh gosh, like, but it's good to know that you can do so many things and all of this from a community pharmacy. You know, the options are endless. It's just what you're interested in and what you're willing to work and learn on. Love it. Well, Dr. Huna, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing about all your wonderful initiatives and your success. And if you have just one more minute, can we go into a rapid fire round? Sure. <laughs> all right. Question Be nice, one. Marina. <laughs> all right. Um, first question. If you could tell somebody a piece of advice to improve their quality of life right now, what would that be? Um, stop doubting yourself and do it even if you're afraid or fearful. Just move. Go for it. Yes. Love it. Okay. Second question. What's something interesting or surprising that most people don't know about you? Oh, okay. Well, if it's interesting or surprising, but um, I made a decision last year Um and decided, okay, I'm going to get serious with speaking Spanish and learning Spanish because I have a lot of Spanish population patients. And um, really, I understand Spanish a lot more better than I did in the beginning. And I can actually hold a conversation in Spanish. Oh, beautiful. I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, a passion for Spanish language and culture too. And I could send a book your way that's specifically geared for healthcare professionals. Yes. All right. And uh, last question, what is your favorite meal to either eat or make yourself? Um, Nigerian food. I'm from Nigeria. I enjoy cooking Nigerian food. I love my kids eating Nigerian food. I love my husband craving Nigerian food. So yes, I enjoy Nigerian food. Nice. Well, thank you again for coming on, sharing your wisdom. And how can people learn more about you and support your work? Absolutely. Um, to learn more about me or support my work, you can um, follow me on LinkedIn. You can find the pharmacy at www.southsidediscountsrx.com. Or you can also learn more about my consulting business and how I'm trying to train other pharmacists and other medical providers or healthcare providers that are interested in 
implementing preventive care that we do at alignedcarellc.com. All right. Well, I will have all that in the show notes and I'm wishing you a wonderful rest of your day and happy weekend. Thank you. You too. And thank you so much for having me, Marina. I appreciate you so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.